The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Your appointment with Jesus for the judgment at the end of the world is not an optional appearance. We will all appear before the throne of God, and we will each be judged according to what we have done. And we have to face the reality and prepare for that. Now, for some, they will appear before the throne of God much sooner than others. Now, yes, there will be one final great white throne judgment, but the division will happen much sooner than that. Now, recognizing the seriousness of this appearance before God, which will determine where we spend eternity, I began struggling to try to understand, to try to get a grip on what was going to happen. And so I was raised in a Christian family, conservative holiness Christian family, where worship was held twice a day for the family, where there was a great deal of conversation about religious matters. And then I went to college, and in college I studied theology. But in college, most of the theology that I studied was about how to walk as a Christian. There were some academics. I studied a great deal of Greek, no Hebrew. But when I went to seminary, there the Greek and the Hebrew, along with a very strenuous intellectual exercise in academics, And frankly, the intellectual academics left me cold. Now, I had to do my papers, and I had to do my research, and I I had to respond because the requirement for being a pastor was that I had to have a Master's of Divinity degree from the seminary. And so I achieved that. But when I left seminary and took my first pastorate, I continued trying to understand how to walk as a Christian. And frankly, I could not find my way through the morass of what I was taught. It frankly did not make sense to me. My background did not make intellectual honesty possible. And for that reason, I left that denomination. I left that denominational ministry. I had been a pastor for about 10 years at that point. 
And I began to search for an intellectually honest understanding of the gospel. And of course, my heart was attracted to success. So I became a supporter of Robert Schuller and his positive thinking with a reformed slant. But as I continued to walk in that reformed theology, intellectually it was very stimulating. But again, it left me cold in my experiential walk with Jesus. And I finally made the decision, I was going to have to simply shut down my life, shut down my ministry, and get to God. I had to ask him what to believe, because just about everything I'd learned about Christianity up to that point had proven false to me. I would study the scriptures, and then I would compare that with what I was being taught. And frankly, they didn't match up. And so it caused me to begin to cry out to God. And the only to apprehend at that point in my journey was the truth of the desperate necessity of repentance. And so the focus of my life and ministry, as the Lord led in the opening of a new congregation, with the help of Pastor David Wilkerson from Times Square Church, who became my spiritual mentor and father in the faith. I began to search and cry out about repentance. I also began to search for an understanding of the Holy Spirit. The holiness denomination that I had been raised in was totally opposed to the gifts of the Spirit in this day. They said it happened in the past, but not today. David Wilkerson, on the other hand, and Times Square Church believed in the fullness of the gifts of the Spirit. And I began to cry out, for that baptism of the Holy Spirit. I finally went to David, Pastor David Wilkerson, and asked him if he would lay hands upon me and anoint me with oil for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And his response was, No, No, brother, I can't do that because I've not received that fullness of the Holy Spirit either. And a man can only give what he's received. And his advice to me was, just go in the anointing you have because the Holy Spirit is with you. So go in the anointing you have. And that's all you're going to have. Well, that answer was not satisfactory to me. And so I began or I should say I continued to search after the Holy Spirit, and I began to read some books, 
that talked about entering into the school of the Holy Spirit. And I eagerly enrolled in that school. And the Lord began to give me theological understanding of deep truths of the Spirit that I had never previously seen or understood. I began to read much of the writings and sermons of John Wesley. And frankly, John Wesley made more sense to me than any other pastor I'd ever listened to. He made more sense to me theologically and academically, experientially. The difficulty I had is that almost everything I'd been taught about salvation from a child forward was wrong. It simply didn't match what the scriptures taught. And this was very troublesome to me. But it caused me to earnestly search after Jesus. And it's why some of you hear me say, I only want Jesus. I don't like religion. I don't like their religious systems. I don't like their man-made rules. I don't agree with with following the church calendar, even though there may be nothing wrong with it. It's just the rules of men. I want Jesus, and I want the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And even yet today, I'm enrolled in the school of the Holy Spirit, and he's teaching me what is necessary to enter into that school. Now, there are several things that become absolutely apparent. And frankly, they're uncomfortable. In Matthew, the 16th chapter, Jesus is speaking, and he gives us some very clear direction if we're going to enter into that school of the Holy Spirit. And if you do not enroll in that school, I can tell you now you cannot be saved you will appear on that day at the judgment bar of God and you will be cast out. It's only the Holy Spirit today who can teach us about Jesus and the way of the cross. It's the Holy Spirit who was sent as a helper, a comforter, a teacher to teach us about Jesus because salvation is only found In Jesus Christ, it is not found in Buddhism or Hinduism. It is not found anywhere else. That's what Jesus said. He was the way, the truth, and the life. Now, every religion will take you to the same place, and that is the judgment bar of God. But I want Jesus. It's not simply in my heart a fear of dying or a fear of going to hell. My heart is, frankly, on fire to love and know Jesus. He is, without a doubt, the most fantastic, most wonderful, most compassionate, loving, 
wise person I've ever had the opportunity to read about and today to know experientially, to speak with him and have him speak with me. Now in Matthew, the 16th chapter, and this is the third message in the sermon series on the school of the Holy Spirit. And if you have not listened, I urge you to go back to Monday and Tuesday. And then today is the third message in this series. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 16, verse 24, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. He must say no to himself. My heart was downcast last night because I found myself in a situation where I did not deny myself. I did not say no to me. Now, was it gross sin? No. It was just a place where I would have had an opportunity to say no. But instead, I said yes. And after about 10 minutes, I said I made the wrong decision. And the answer is no. I was invited by friends to go to the Renaissance Festival this coming Saturday. I initially said, yes, I'd like to go. I had memories of past years where I went to the Renaissance Festival and I enjoyed parts of it. But in the night, the Holy Spirit came to me and said, cancel, say no. And then he gave me a picture in my mind, a clear picture, crystal clear, of many snakes writhing and biting. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, the Renaissance Festival is full of snakes, of demons. That's why I told you, don't go. And so I immediately the next morning contacted my friend and said, the Lord has told me I cannot go. And this person said to me, I was surprised when you said you would go because there's a great deal of witchcraft and darkness at the Renaissance Festival. I said, yes, you're right. That's what the Holy Spirit told me, and he rebuked me and told me to say no. When you're enrolled in the school of the Holy Spirit, he cares what you do and where you go and what you agree with. And if you're enrolled in that school, if he is displeased with what you're doing, he will speak with you. He will give you a sense of heaviness in your heart. He will let you know that you're on the wrong track and you're in trouble if you continue down this path. The first step in enrolling in the school of the Holy Spirit is to desire to follow Jesus, created by the Holy Spirit. The second step is to deny yourself or to say no to yourself. Now, the third step is you take up your cross and you follow him. We spoke yesterday about 
you are crucified with Christ. You are you die to self. And then he says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, for me, will find it. But what good will it be a man who gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? What is your soul? Your soul is your whole personality. It's who God made you to be. If you follow the way of darkness, if you are not enrolled in the school of the Holy Spirit, you will forfeit your personality. You will become something that you are not meant to be. What can a man give in exchange for his soul? What would you give in exchange, brother, sister? for your personality, for who you are, for who you were meant to be. And I can tell you now that who you are right now is much influenced by the Holy Spirit. He has restrained you from many things of bitterness and darkness. He has saved you from many difficulties. And who you are is in part who Jesus wants you to be, even if you deny him today. But believe me, if the Holy Spirit is rejected and he leaves you, you will become someone you do not even know. One person who listens to this broadcast regularly sent me a text and he said, I do not like the man I am becoming because he is giving way to darkness. Do you like who you are? Do you like what you have received from the Holy Spirit, even though you were not sure you wanted the Holy Spirit to do anything in you? But he's calling you. His kindness is meant to bring you to repentance. Because he knows that your time is short and that you will be going to judgment, and you will face there the decision by Jesus either to be cast into the fires of hell or to be brought into the glory of a new earth and a new heaven and eternal fellowship with this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful person by the name of Jesus. The Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and he will reward each person according to what he has done. Now, I want to share another passage of Scripture with you. It's found over here in Matthew, the seventh chapter. Matthew 7. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And if you truly want to know who Jesus is and what he expects of you, I would urge you to do as Reese Howells did many years ago and as I have done many times. Get on your knees and read aloud the Sermon on the Mount. It is what Jesus expects of his people the way they should behave, 
the values they should hold. This is chapter 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, or the suffering affliction gate. Why are you suffering? Because you are saying no to the world. And when you say no to the pleasures of your flesh, there is a level of suffering involved. That illicit sexual relationship that has so many heart ties to you, you want to go to bed with that person. When you say no, there's a certain level of of loneliness and risk that they may write you off and say, in that case, I don't want to know you. I'm cutting you off. You either satisfy my desires or I'm done with you. Well, there is risk when you walk with Jesus. But now, let me read for you verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, according to the teachers of the modern American church, this scripture should be rewritten. Let me read it to you as the modern teachers of our age would change it. They would say, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who stands by faith in grace will be saved. Now, I also believe that we are saved by faith alone and by grace alone. But we freight those words with very different meanings. Words are simply vehicles. They're carriages that carry the meaning that we apply to them. Words have meanings. Now, let me read for you what one writer spoke about this. A brother, Lavender, who is a wonderful, wonderful Christian man. This is what he wrote in the Lavender translation. Uh, Rusty was the name of the man, the first name. Let me read this for you. Jesus gives a sobering revelation of the judgment scene. A warning to all who claim to be his followers. Jesus reveals that many who call him Lord who consider themselves to be Christians and as anointed to work in his kingdom, get it wrong. They believe that they're on their way to heaven even though they are continuing to sin, continuing to work, the NIV puts it, evil deeds. But Jesus' own words reflect the absolute necessity of perseverance in obedience for entrance into heaven. He wrote, Jesus, the one who keeps on doing the will of my Father. That's Matthew 7, verses 24 through 26. This word, 
working and doing are both present tense, meaning a continuous action of of working and doing. Much of the air regarding the nature of salvation, that is, unconditional love, non-regenerative, that is, you're not transformed and changed into a new person, legal righteousness, that is, you are justified by faith, but it's only a legal transaction. It's not something that transforms you and makes you truly righteous. It's imputed, they say, not imparted righteousness. Not delivered from sin in this life, thus secure while sinning. This unbiblical, distorted view of Calvary undermines and destroys the salvation message. Multitudes are today headed to the judgment in a state of total deception, knowingly walking in sin, but believing they are not under the wrath of God and that they're saved. Now, this is this is something I had to study out, agonize over, because I was lied to. I believed the Reformed theology, which is a lie. Now, I need to be careful to make a distinction. John Calvin in the Institutes, his writings, specifically say that you cannot separate justification and sanctification. In other words, you can't separate being forgiven for your sins and being made new in reality. Jonathan Edwards, a great Reformed theologian, probably one of the greatest intellects America has ever produced, was very, very clear that if you continue to walk as a half-converted person, and he struggled mightily with this in his church, people who wanted the services of the church, but who continued to walk in known sin. And he said, no, you cannot be a part of my church. If you knowingly walk in disobedience to Jesus, you've never been saved. How can you be calling yourself a Christian if you've never been saved? And he would say, as would George Whitfield. There were those who tried to stir up trouble between George Whitfield and John Wesley. I've read the letters exchanged. They made peace together not on Reformed theology, but on the truth that a man or woman had to leave all known sin and be transformed by the blood of Jesus to enter into salvation. But in the modern day, they call themselves Reformed, but they are not. They are teaching a lie. If you read the plain words of Scripture... He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, or does the works of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In other words, did we not preach? He's talking about pastors here. In your name, didn't we drive out demons? Yes, the name of Jesus will drive out demons. Did we not perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evil doers. I want you to really catch this truth today. When you enroll in the school of the Holy Spirit, he will begin to rebuke you for every sin you walk in. He will tell you, walk away from that sexual immorality. It has no place in my life with you. He will tell you, don't be impure. The impure thoughts that you're filling your heart with and the lust you have in your heart, let me remove that. Now, I want to be very clear on this point. Righteousness does not come by white-knuckling effort. Righteousness comes into our life through repentance, saying no to it, and then by giving it to Jesus and asking him to transform us to change us by his precious blood, and he will change our attitude. He will change our thought this week at the National Prayer Chapel. One of our precious women said they had been deeply hurt this last week by the words of a family member. And that thing began to ferment in them. And bitterness began to grow. And she recognized that this was not of Jesus. That this was a bitter root that Jesus would have to deal with. So she confessed how she was feeling. And she asked Jesus, Would you change this? I don't want to feel this way. I don't want this bitterness to get a hold of my life. I don't want to hate. I don't want to get even. Jesus, would you remove this from my heart? And instantly it was gone. And Sunday she was rejoicing in Jesus. She was praising his name. All of the hurt was gone. All of the bitterness was gone. All of the anger was gone. She was free in Jesus. That's how he works. That's the work of the Holy Spirit by the blood of Jesus as he changes and transforms us. Now, I need to say a word of explanation. I'm trying to be very, very practical with you. I know 
that I must walk in the Spirit and be taught by the Holy Spirit. I know the only way I can be made holy is by the blood of Jesus. So what do I mean when I say I believe in righteousness by faith alone and by grace alone? You know the modern church means by faith means a legal transaction happens. I continue to walk in my sin, but I'll slowly improve as the principles are taught. And basically, it's a self-help process. And by grace alone, they mean grace is a blanket that covers over my sin so that when Jesus sees me, he doesn't see me, he sees himself. And so when we come to the judgment bar of God, we're going to be filthy, full of sin, but we're going to be dressed in the robe of Jesus, and it will cover over all of our leprosy, our sin. Well, I believe that that is all an imaginative lie. It is simply not true. I believe that when Jesus justifies you, he makes you righteous. And that's the true meaning of the word justify. The word justify is an old English word that does not mean simply your sins are forgiven. Justify means the sins are removed from you. The Greek word is aphemy. The sin is removed from you. And in that removal, you are made new. You do not continue to walk in that sin. If you continue to walk in that sin, you have not been justified. And then by grace, according to Titus, and I could show you many places in the scripture where it teaches, it is by grace that the Holy Spirit comes and ministers to us and teaches us the way of the cross. It is by grace that we are taught and sanctified. It is by grace we are made righteous. It is not a work of our own. It is the work of the blood of Jesus Christ being applied to us by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me read this scripture for you. I've read it before, but... You need to hear it from this perspective. In Galatians, the fifth chapter, verse five, chapter five, verse one, it is for freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from sin. There is no freedom in sin. It is bondage. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, chapter 5, verse 13 and forward. You, my brothers, were called to be free, to be free of sin. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature That's what the modern church does. It uses the supposed freedom of Christ to indulge the sinful nature. 
I listened to a great teacher, Charles Stanley, in one of his messages where he talked about having been raised in a holiness church, but he found he could not overcome his sin. He tried as hard as he could, but he could not overcome his sin. And it was at that point that he turned to the modern Reformed teaching that all you will lose if you continue in your sin are a few rewards and fellowship with God. But you will be saved. You cannot be lost. You're saved. You, you cannot be lost after you're saved. Those, of course, are all deceptions that Satan brought into his teaching that he has taught to many people and deceived many people that will take many, many, many people to hell. Now, am I saying that all of his teaching is wrong? No. But it has to be judged by Scripture. If a man's word, if my word to you is not in accord with the Scripture, please don't believe me. Believe the word of God. You're not going to be judged by what I teach you. You're going to be judged by what the word of God says. Do you understand? Charles Stanley's church was legalistic. It did not teach that you were made righteous by the imparted grace of Jesus Christ, by the blood of Jesus Christ, that you were transformed. Now, I tell you, please, as I grew up in my church, my holiness church, my dad would say to me, Ray, you must try harder. And I tried harder. But regardless of how hard I tried, I could never measure up to what was expected of me. It was not until I was justified by the blood of Jesus Christ and made whole and cleansed and washed and sin no longer had power over me. I had the strength by the Spirit to say no to sin because of the grace of Jesus Christ. So I say, verse 16, live by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So if you're enrolled in the school of the Holy Spirit and you understand what I'm saying to you and you submit to the teaching of the Holy Spirit from the Word of God and from the Spirit will say in your heart and you test that Spirit by the Word of God for every spirit must be tested. You will no longer have any desire to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And you will come to a place in your life where sin is simply disgusting to you. And when you make a mistake and you say yes to something that you should say no to, the Holy Spirit will immediately move on you and begin to call you back from that decision and say no that's the wrong choice. Don't go there. Don't do that. That's why I so treasure what the Lord said to me audibly 
about three years ago, he said, wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. So I face a decision. I say, no. Why? I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm waiting on the Lord by the Holy Spirit to move on my heart and my life and to literally, in the physical realm, open the way before me. Now, once he teaches me what is righteous, he expects me not to go back and rebuild what the Spirit of God destroyed in my heart and in my life. Because if I go back and rebuild what the Holy Spirit destroyed in setting me free, the bondage will be even more difficult to break than it was the first time. If I go back time after time after time, I grieve the Holy Spirit. And it becomes one of my ways. Now I'm going to have a great deal of difficulty in breaking free. But still, it is the Holy Spirit who will do that in me as I repent. Some of you have been taught, as I was taught in the Reformed theology, that you could continue walking in sin and you were still saved. And now this is one of your ways. A man said to me, who was living with a woman he wasn't married to, I said, brother, You have to either marry her or you have to leave that relationship. It is sin and you are blocked from heaven. He said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm saved. I can't lose my salvation. I said, brother, that's not what the scriptures teach. You cannot have that illicit affair going on in your life and expect to enter into heaven. He said, no, no, God's grace covers me. It was his way. And to my knowledge, he still hasn't broken free. Another man said to me, look, I love her. I want to marry her. But if I marry her, I'm going to lose $1,200. She will lose $1,200 a month from her late husband's retirement plan. We can't afford to lose $1,200 a month. And so, no, I can't leave her and I can't marry her because financially it would cripple us. I said, Satan has you in a bind and he's taking you to hell. What is it worth for you to give up your soul for a few dollars? Is it really worth it? And after a couple years of struggling with him on that issue, They finally made the decision, and I was able to perform that wedding service. It says, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. So as you're enrolled in the school of the Holy Spirit, you're going to begin to find areas where contention will rise in your spirit and you'll have no peace. 
And when your peace is gone, you'll know you're on the wrong track. And some people that I've spoken to, I'm so shy of saying this to you, but I must. I know people who have enrolled in the school of the Holy Spirit and they have walked for some years in it. But then they come to the conclusion that there's a certain thing that they must do and God is telling them to do it. But it's obvious to me it's contrary to Scripture and I try to tell them this and they won't listen to it. Instead, they feel they need to sacrifice their children, their family. They need to sacrifice everything in order to accomplish this in their own flesh, that they have to pay the price. And they end up walking in legalism. And the aroma of Christ is no longer in their life. And there is an evident, there is an evident pride in their paying of the price. I've had precious brothers and sisters cut me off and leave the prayer chapel because of this rotten-smelling pride where they have to do it, and they're not willing to trust the blood of Jesus Christ to accomplish what they think they have to do. I can tell you now, Jesus did pay the full price on Calvary. But it has to be accessed. And it's accessed through repentance, saying no, walking clean, but also, my brother and sister, walking humbly before God. We have to walk humbly before our God and be totally dependent upon Jesus for our righteousness, to be clean before him. You can only be washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no other blood that will avail. There is no personal effort There is no hard work. It is only the blood of Jesus Christ that will cleanse you, that will restore you, that will give you total victory over all sin. I urge you to think about these things and to pray about them. I know many of you have been taught the same lies and you've believed the same lies that I believed. And there's no credit to me that I'm in a different place today. It came strictly by my hungering after Jesus and his giving me revelation, giving me an opening of the scriptures. I was blind, but now I see. Do I see entirely? No, I still see through a glass darkly. But one day, I'm going to see Jesus face to face. And I'm going to rejoice as I stand before him on that great judgment day that he has washed and cleansed and changed and transformed my life. Jesus is everything to me.
Well, we're out of time for this broadcast today. I praise God for each one of you who has written to me, who has called me. I've had quite a few calls this week. Thank you. Messages on the internet. Write to me at National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. That's Pastor Ray Greenley. National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. If you're sending a check, just make it out to National Prayer Chapel and mark it for Pilgrim's Progress. You, you're also welcome to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Next week, our dear brother Ed has prepared five sermons that we'll be playing. I'm going to take next week off. I'm going to take it off for a week of laying on my face before God, fasting and prayer. I have to go deeper with Jesus, and I have to get some answers on what he wants me to pray for and how he wants me to pray. I need physical healing for me and for others. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. Thank you for listening today, and thank you for helping me with this month's radio broadcast. I'll talk to you soon.